So, um, obviously nutrition is a big component that we encourage those that we educate to think about when they're making their food choices. But as we all know, there's a lot more that comes into deciding what we put on our plate, many different factors. And when we're thinking about plant-based alternatives, um, we, we can't hardly talk about that topic without at least touching on kind of some of the controversy that comes into livestock production um, and the regular hits of criticism regarding sustainability or environmental footprint. You know, I'm sure that this topic comes up in your research training and education that you provide. So are either of you able to speak briefly about cattle in general or within your respective industries of meat and dairy production on what that really looks like in the, the broad scope of things? I can I can talk to it. I, I um, you know, there's a there's a lot said um, in terms of the environmental impact of a beef a beef production in particular and just livestock. Um, but the truth is, in the United States, um, beef is raised more sustainably than anywhere else in the globe. Um, the beef industry in the U.S. has made continuous improvements um, in their sustainability efforts, and they've improved resource use. They've reduced emissions per pound of beef produced um, by uh, what I believe is more than 40 percent um, while producing more beef per animal um, during, say, the last 40 years or so. So, can, so farmers and ranchers and the industry are always working to make improvements. And here in the United States, we are treated to the most sustainable and the most safe food supply um, across the globe. Um, and also, I think it's really important to think about when we think about sustainability, I think we also need to discuss um, nutrient density and consumption choices. So we need to be making mindful choices about the amount of food that we're consuming and wasting. Um, and we also need to be thinking about how much, you know, nutrition, taste, and satisfaction we're getting, you know, in the foods that we're choosing as well. Um, sustainability is the issue of the day, and it is one that we will need to continue to address. But it is more than just environmental. There are other pillars to address that include dimensions like um, economics and, you know, social pillars as well. And, um, you know, I'm a believer that animal um, source foods are an important part of the discussion in um, good health and, and sustainability moving forward. I would agree. And I appreciate the question because, as I alluded to earlier, I when we were discussing before we started, I talked so much about dairy farming practices more than I ever thought as a dietitian that I would because, you know, just like me, I wanted to know more about where my food came from. And part of it is that sustainability piece, right? I had those same questions. Um, and it was great to be able to finally, you know, get answers once I was able to get closer to the science and research. Um, enough farm tours, speaking to veterinarians. I tell you, I now think that cows are absolutely 
amazing in what they do because they upcycle foods that we can't eat. And close to 80% of the foods that cows consume are foods that we can't eat as humans. So you think about the corn that we grow, right? We eat the cob and we make popcorn and all the great stuff, but there's the stalk that's left over. We can't eat that. Our stomachs don't digest that. But the cow's digestive system can, and we can feed that to cows. It's a, it's a natural source of food for them. Um, I think about the intertwining of food groups too. So for instance, almonds. If you like to eat almonds, there's a hole that is left over after those are shelled so that we utilize that. Well, then what do we do with that? Now that's food waste or it's going into a landfill. Like what are we doing with those? And there's ways to recycle it, but cows can also eat that. And it's a great source of nutrition for them. And we do it in so many ways. The citrus industry, the pulp that's left over from orange juice, cows eat that and it's a great source of food uh, locally here i live in muncie and there are farmers nearby that utilize fruits and vegetables that are left over from the grocery store like the ugly fruit that we maybe didn't want to eat instead of it just going into food waste that is something that you know animals consume local breweries you know the the remnants of making beer where does that go um, and not, ev not every animal can consume those things, um, but cows absolutely can. So there's a way for us to be able to be more sustainable in animal agriculture. And we have been for years. Farmers are so resilient and truly are the, you know, the world's first recyclers because they're always looking for ways to make their farm more sustainable. Um, they have to live here too right they need to eat they need to drink they live on this planet so um, it's just incredible the more farms that i visit to see all of the technology that can be used um, to help make foods in general more sustainable the recycling of water um, that gets used on farms so that we can save i mean just and i can't speak to the other industries um, dairy for instance we have have done our life cycle assessment so that we can see an lca for those who maybe have heard of them to know what is our impact on the planet and for us to be able to say in 10 years they have used you know 30 percent less water 20 percent less land that's just in 10 years alone so you know all of those uh, farmers are looking for ways to to make foods as sustainable as they possibly can and and i'm sure that the dairy is not the only one doing that right there are lots of foods that do that but just for everyone to understand how intertwined that we are and that we have to work together to be able to you know further our impact and i'm just gonna put a plug out here i i don't know dr mitloner but dr frank mitloner is an interesting speaker and he works for uc davis um, out in california and his whole job is researching environmental sustainability and things that we can do with animal production to be more sustainable um, and talking greenhouse gases so i would definitely encourage people to you know, reach out to their local farmer, to their local councils. So we can, I can provide information on dairy. I, I am sure that Amy can provide things for beef. 
Um, and there's a council for just about everything, a soil council, you know, to be able to find out more about those products and know what their impact is and what they're doing so that the consumer doesn't have to feel pitted one food against another. Yeah, I mean, Hannah, you make such great points because um, as the as consumers over time, as we've um, moved further away from being on farms, like we've moved far away from agriculture. So people living all over the all over the United States, for example, don't really have a familiarity that say our grandparents may have with what farming practices are. And so our roles, I guess, as dietitians and, um, you know, the, the extension is doing such great job by helping educate people that, you know, for example, the, just what Hannah was saying, the role that ruminants like cows play because they have this unique digestive system. I mean, if, if you aren't um, in agriculture, you don't learn that. So you don't know the unique roles in the food system that cows play, you know, that you don't know that they're eating um, the, the stalks of corn that humans can't eat. You don't know about this um, superpower that they have where they can upcycle some of these foods and make protein through milk and meat. Um, but as we continue to, you know, move away from agriculture in our everyday lives, the importance of things like extension and um, the roles that registered dietitians play is increasingly important in helping educate and helping consumers make good choices and answer their questions even about agriculture. I love this conversation and uh, Hannah kind of said it's what got her to be a registered dietitian and me as well. I actually grew up on a pig farm um, as a young child and I was sitting at Purdue University in um, school. I actually started out in ag and then was like, what am I doing here? I want to go talk about food and nutrition. Uh, so I switched. But like sitting in those classes, no one around me understood farming and where their food actually came from. And we don't even have to only talk about animal you know food we're talking vegetables and all of that either so then you know like that's what really set me on my path to get to extension is i wanted to teach people about where our food comes from on the farm and then um, how it's utilized in our body and everything um, and so i was going to ask hannah but you already said if someone wanted to go on a farm tour um, they can get in contact with um, probably any of the councils. Uh, there's a beef council, there's dairy council, there's pork council. Um, and there's not only a national one, but there's typically one in each state as well. Um, so I know Amy is not joining us from Indiana. Um, Hannah is, but I know there's an Indiana pork um, board as well, as well as the national board. Um, she said soy as well. So there's um, a soybean board, um, that sort of thing. If people are interested in going on those tours, those organizations typically have um, some farmers who are willing to give tours um, to the public. Absolutely. And I'm glad that you mentioned it, Monica, because um, we have been doing virtual farm tours actually for the last, well, I mean, we've been doing them for a few years, but we did them mostly for schools, like elementary schools who, you know, field trips just aren't always a thing anymore. It's very difficult to, to get students to be able to take a trip to the farm. Um, so virtual farm tours have become not only very popular for educators to be able to use for their students, but during COVID when it was, we just really couldn't bring people together. And certainly there's still, you know, caution to be taken right now. You know, there might be a lot of people who are concerned about, you know, how a large group on a farm tour, should they be around them? Um, but a virtual farm tour is an interesting way to be able to kind of see. And so we actually have several, um, we do them, we'll have three coming up this fall 
uh, at winnersdrinkmilk.com. You can just look on our website. We have information there and our YouTube channel, Indiana Dairy. We have a lot of recorded ones from all over the state. So, and I, and I know that that's become popular with many other organizations as well. So don't feel like if you can't physically go to the farm that there's not a way for you to still be able to connect with the farmer who produced the food that you're enjoying and that you want to know more about. And for beef, um, I know that there is an Indiana Beef Council, and I also know to get started, if you're interested in some more virtual resources on beef production, beef production practices, sustainability, and nutrition, um, beef, um, com has um, quite a few resources, including videos and, and, you know, kind of virtual tours too. So that's a resource available, readily available. Thank you guys so much for all this information. Um, we we started talking about nutrition and I kind of want to go back to that a little bit because um, as, as Tanya made the point with the sustainable piece we're talking about, that plays a role in what we're choosing to eat. Um, but I always like to tell people when they're making these choices, it's all about what your goal is. And so um, if your goal is to eat healthier um, by choosing those plant alternatives, are you doing that? And um, I think based off of our conversation earlier, um, it's a big maybe, <laughs> depends on your needs. <laughs> um, and reading that food label is gonna help us, but too, Amy, that study's showing us that the food label doesn't tell us the whole story either. Um, so there's a lot of pieces to that. Um, but Amy, you mentioned too that you have three little ones at home. Um, so that's another factor that, people, that plays into people's decisions. Um, what else, what are some other things that are factoring in um, that maybe sh people should consider between um, plant alternatives and beef or dairy products? Great question. There's just so many factors when, when choosing foods. You know, in my time at school, <laughs> so becoming a dietitian, um, probably one of the things that we learned the most about was the nutritional value to something, you know, is how much of each nutrient is in them to help us make those choices. You know, for instance, sometimes I get this question just with dairy about, um, you know, whether or not it's, there's enough omega-3 in, you know, a particular type, whether it's organic or conventional. And I tell them, there's not a significant difference there, okay? As I would tell you, if you want to increase your omegas to eat fish, <laughs> it would not be. So thinking about what's in each food. Um, but then we also talked a lot about religious practices. You know, people's faith uh, sometimes helps them to make certain decisions about what it is that they're going to choose um, for their family and for themselves, um, health conscious, as you mentioned, Monica, you know, if you are trying to reduce your cholesterol, there are going to be certain foods that are going to be better for you. If you're, if you're diabetic, for instance, um, there are certain foods that tend to, to assist with blood sugar control a little better than others as you're trying to combine your proteins and your carbohydrates and make sure that you do that throughout the day. Um, so that I feel like there's so many factors and we're so fortunate truly um, in this country to have such an abundance of food to choose from. Um, I think back to when I was working in community hospitals and things like that. I might have a patient who had celiac disease and they needed a gluten-free product. And that just wasn't as common 
it was more difficult for them to find something that was gluten-free and they needed it because that was that was truly an allergy issue for them it was an intolerance in their body that they would not be able to consume those products and now they're everywhere but it was because really of i hate to say it but i would call them fad diets just like it became popular to suddenly eat gluten-free or free of something there's free of something on all kinds of labels, right? Free of sodium, free of everything. <laughs> um, and that's a whole nother animal of itself. When I see like, you know, the gluten-free water, I'm like, well, there isn't any gluten in water. So, but the average person maybe doesn't know that. And that's okay. That's our job as dietitians to help them with that. But it just can be frustrating sometimes um, in the advertising for some of those things that it can be very misleading for for consumers in that capacity but you know just remembering that health is a choice local foods some people want foods that are literally within 50 miles of their house and that's fantastic but it means you're probably not going to get avocados right if you live in indiana you know it's in the winter we're not going to have tomatoes unless we canned them so just being conscious of each other's choices and I feel like respectful of those choices because we all have different reasonings for the foods that we choose. Um, and it's our role as dietitians. And for those of us like Amy and I that, that work for the differing um, checkoff councils to provide the information to help them make decisions that are appropriate for them. For sure. And I, you make such great points, Hannah. And, you know, I was trying to think um, as Monica was, was asking the question and as consumers, looking through my consumer lens, we are faced with so many choices. As you mentioned, Hannah, we are very blessed to go be able to go to a store in our country and be able to find, we have choice. Not only do we have plentiful food, but we have choices in that. So then I had to think, okay, through my mom lens, what, you know, what, what drives me? And I guess um, when I look at it, look at it through my dietitian mom lens too. What I what I want my kids to learn is that convenience sometimes has to be the driving factor, but I want your good health to be your one of your main focuses. And I believe that your your good health comes from making your diet, your exercise, your sleep, your priorities. And so to me that means I have to make the time I have to make the time to menu plan, purchase, um, and then prepare real foods. So that so that means it, it's going to take some of my time every day, and I've got to make the time for that because I think it's important. And so I want to teach my kids that because I also want us to have that shared experience of a family meal together, like a dinner. Um, for some people, breakfast or lunch may work better. For my family, it's dinner because I think that shared family time together around the table is really important. A meal that maybe we all contributed some preparation, thought, and maybe the thought is, hey, mom, I really love tacos or I really love fajitas. Can we have that on Tuesday night? You know, and so maybe they contributed that thought and then I put it on the menu and I purchased the foods and we helped cook it together. But I but I think that those things are important. So I think what I the driving force for me is I, I my goal is good health. And I think having a high quality diet contributes to my good health. So I need to make the time and put it as a priority um, how to 
plan the foods, purchase the foods, prepare the foods so that we can have a quality meal and, and quality uh, food choices in our house. I love it. This is all such great, great advice. <laughs> and so many things I didn't even think of there on what uh, what decisions go into our food making. But Hannah, you did mention um, fat content and saturated fat, I believe, specifically when you were talking about yours. And that's something we haven't really talked about today with these two products, because I think that's probably the driving force and driving people away from either dairy products or beef products is their fat content. But just like there's an alternative that you can choose, there's lower fat options in both dairy products and beef products. We can buy skim milk, uh, lower fat yogurts, uh, whatever, and you can buy leaner cuts of meat. Um, so, you know, the, the sirloin and um, those types of cuts are what's gonna be better for us. As well as if you're looking at ground meat, you can buy uh, lower fat content ground beef. Um, but I know too, when we think about eating these products as well and having an alternative, so if um, I'm choosing to eat hamburger and french fries every day with a side of ice cream for dessert, this isn't really following a healthy dietary pattern anyways. So is uh, is having an alternative going to help us? Probably not, because those are still not following a healthy dietary guidelines. Um, so trying to choose maybe some of those uh, lower fat uh, beef or dairy products, pork products, chicken, fish, whatever you want to consume um, is going to be a better option than having a diet high in alternative ice cream or alternative hamburgers in the first place. Absolutely. So I think sometimes people think for a plant-based burger, for example, they're like, oh, it's plant-based. I can eat that instead of vegetables. But no, no, you can have the plant-based burger, you can have a beef burger, but to have a healthy diet, you need to include, um, you know, you need to top that burger with some veggies or serve it with a side salad because the company it keeps is equally important. You know, um, your diet is made up of many choices, many pieces on the plate, and you've got to, you know, maximize, you know, in order to make every bite count, you've got to maximize each of those little positions on your plate throughout the day. I would agree. And just thinking, you know, considering I, I can appreciate, obviously, we do recommend low fat dairy products in my world. Um, but I know there's a place for whole milk, you know, that I see kid, uh, children, you know, we we encourage from that one to two at least, you know, one to three that they're drinking whole milk because they need the fats that are in it for their brain to develop. So and for fat people is an to essential nutrient, the, right? Yes, we need fat, so it's okay to have it. But to your point, Monica, you don't want to just have like high fat everything every single day and looking at a variety of, of fats you know, that you, that you have in your diet so that, you know, yes, there's going to be some saturated fats if you're consuming animal products, but there's saturated fat in coconut. So, you know, <laughs> it's kind of like, well, it's a little either way. That's coconut's a plant, but it's still a way to get it. It's, it's not necessarily a, a terrible thing to have it, but I would agree. Sometimes people shy away from some animal products because they have concerns about that. And I would reassure them that it's that there is some needed in our daily diet. It's all about 
the portion that we choose, how often when you're dealing with uh, the elderly, I used to work in long-term care, their ability to consume food sometimes is more difficult as it gets harder maybe to chew and swallow, or maybe they don't have as much availability for food depending on where they live, um, what they like or what tastes good. Um, so I probably would recommend a higher fat milk for them if I knew dairy was something they were still consuming, but they were not consuming, you know, another product. Um, meats can be difficult, so, you know, maybe a lean ground beef is what they choose, or if they like high fat beef, maybe I encourage low fat dairy and their fruits and vegetables so they get well-rounded. So uh, there's no uh, perfect diet or meal plan. It's all about trying to make it fit for your life and your lifestyle to be as healthy as you can be. Um, and I, I wouldn't be, I'd be really remiss if I didn't mention, you know, there are those of us that do not have enough food. And sometimes the higher fat food is what is provided for them or something that's higher in sodium. So looking for ways for them to still be able to consume a healthy diet um, and modify those foods so that they are healthier for them or that they get enough calories needed entirely. If they don't have enough for three meals even a day, you know, they that could be a problem. They may need to eat higher in fat or higher in calorie just to maintain because they don't get enough opportunity for food. And, and certainly in that affordability equation, that is where sometimes animal products can be most beneficial because they have a lot of nutrition, um, even even the higher fat version. So say in the example of beef, maybe 80% um, uh, lean ground beef is more affordable option. But, you know, if you make burgers or tacos with that and maybe extend it by adding some black beans and, you know, canned black beans and tomatoes and, you know, um, you're able to get more nutrition. So it's able, you know, working with what you have and, you know, trying to think of it through the lens of trying to provide um, a most more satisfying, more nutrient-rich diet for, for with what I have. I love that you guys talked about the importance of fat too, because um, I think you both are familiar with Dr. Mattis, researcher at Purdue. Uh, we had him onto the podcast to talk about um, his research with fat and all of that. So we had a great lesson from him on the importance of fat in our diet. All right, guys, this has been really awesome and educational. I know I have learned a few things that I did not already know. So here's kind of my recap from what I learned. Um, if we are trying to choose what to put on our plate, it is a personal decision. Nobody can make that decision for us, but also no one can um, give us the answers either. We have to do the research ourselves. So if we're concerned about sustainability, um, are we contacting those local councils that can give us the information to help us make sure we really understand the facts? If we're concerned about nutrition, are we digging into the nutrition facts label to understand what the components of those foods are. But then also keeping in mind, as our two guests today pointed out, there's more to the nutrition, nutritional composition or the nutritional profile of a food than just the carb, fat, and proteins that might be listed on a nutrition label. And so um, thinking about it holistically and knowing that um, a plant-based alternative food, a veggie burger, for example, does not 
give us a cop out for not eating our vegetables, right? We still gotta fill our plate with all our food groups. So um, the first step is to know what our goals are, research those goals to make sure that we are um, have all the information to make our decision. And then remember, it's the balance. And I love what you said, Amy, it's all about the company it keeps on our plate, right? <laughs> I've not heard that before, but I'm going to use that, that one again. You can have your favorite food on your plate, but what company is it keeping? And so um, anything else that you would like to say before we kind of do our little fun wrap up today? Did I capture it well? I think so. I think you did. I would definitely just put a plug out there to for people if they have questions. Ask a registered dietitian. That's what we do. Um, so looking for one, they can, there is a whole state full of them in Indiana for sure. And across the country. Um, so find one to be able to ask some questions and they can surely direct you. And then obviously just in today, hopefully that they have learned, um, that there are checkoff councils like the dairy council, the beef council, there is a pork, a soy, you name it. There's one for cotton Christmas trees. If you want to learn about those agricultural products, go to them and certainly using their extension. And thank you to you all at Purdue for inviting us to come and share today. Yeah, thank you. I gotta say to um, just among this group, the registered dietitians, I think we do all have um, a passion for sharing what we've learned. And so I certainly um, invite people to ask questions because there are a lot of choices and you know, even even though it's food and we feel like we should be naturals at knowing what to do, there's a lot of choices. So please ask us questions and 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 please, you know, the internet is a great tool, sometimes great tool. Um, but we we have access to more information than ever before. So please, you know, um, in the case of beef, beefitswhatsfordinner.com is a great place to start for you know any information you want to have you know, you, you want to get right now. Um, I know dairy also has similar resources and, and certainly the state beef councils are a great place to start for more localized information. So let's go ahead and I'm glad you mentioned your website, Amy, let's go ahead and mention the best way for folks to connect with you or to learn more. So for the beef council, it would be um, com. that one big long phrase all strung into one word. Um, and then for Hannah, for the Dairy Council, I have that your Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is at IN Dairy with the IN standing for Indiana. But then on YouTube, they can find you at Indiana Dairy. Is that correct? That, that is correct. And our website here locally is winnersdrinkmilk.com. And then if anybody has questions um, in other states and regions, where they're from, where they're going to, they can also connect with local dairy councils through usdairy.com. There's information there as well. Perfect. Okay, so our final wrap up for Amy and Hannah. Two options to choose from. Either what is your favorite food or do you have a favorite food pun? We, um, I, our family was on vacation last week and we drove to a beach. Um, so we were listening to Jimmy Buffett on our beach trip um, with my family. So um, I think my 
favorite food and my favorite food fun was um, we're cheeseburgers in paradise by Jimmy Buffett. You know, I like mine with lettuce and tomato. <laughs> so I'm um, a cheeseburger in paradise. <laughs> That's fantastic. I love it. Um, and I know it, it probably just sounds funny since I work for dairy, but dairy truly <laughs> are, is one of my favorite food groups. And I would have to go with um, cheese or cottage cheese. I love cottage cheese. I don't think people really appreciate it for what it could be. It goes with everything. I put it on potatoes, I put it on my salad, I mix it with fruit or salsa and chips. Cottage cheese. That's what I would eat. Okay, so large curd or small curd? I can go either. I usually buy small curd, but I don't like it to be too dry. I like it to be, you know, just not totally soupy, but to have a little bit there. But some people I know up in Michigan, they make it really, they like the dry stuff up there. That's okay. <laughs> but Dipping Ruffles cheap. potato chips in it is the best. Why not, right? <laughs> it has to be Ruffles, though. It's like totally underrated well. food. It's that savory, creamy goodness. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> and the perfect saltiness. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it goes well with fruit, but I like the idea. I did, I used to actually use tortilla chips and salsa a lot as a snack. So. So there you have it, folks. A room full of dietitians confessing how they mix the the quote-unquote healthy with the quote-unquote less than healthy to make a tasty treat that we can feel good about it can be done so i just want to thank you again for joining us today for this episode of bite by bite nutrition for life be sure to find us on facebook and instagram at bite by bite nutrition for life until next time remember to ask questions challenge the myths and stay true to you <laughs>